In this episode of Basecamp Live, we are examining the growing trend of online education. You know, there's lots of advantages to being able to learn outside of a traditional classroom, but there are limits to this form of education that maybe aren't so obvious at first. My guest today, Dr. Chris Schlecht, is a master teacher and educator who gives us several tools to use to evaluate not only online education, but these questions are super helpful when it comes to evaluating any classroom and teaching environment. Stay tuned for this episode of Basecamp Live. Mountains, we all face them. Basecamp Live will equip you to conquer the biggest mountains when raising the next generation. Each week, you'll hear from culture watchers, thought leaders, and storytellers who know the tools you'll need to summit the peak and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. Welcome to Basecamp Live, and now your host, Davies Owens. Well, welcome to Basecamp Live. Davies Owens here in the virtual studio with Dr. Chris Schleck. Uh, welcome, Chris. How are you? I am very well and honored to be here. Thank you, Davies. It's always good to see you and to hear of, hear you. If folks don't know who you are, you have, I was just saying, it take me 23 minutes of the podcast just to read your bio. Um, you are... Um, I don't mind uh, hearing we'll, about we'll, myself. We'll just talk for 22 minutes, and then we'll get to the topic now. You're the director <laughs> at New St. Andrews College Graduate Program in Classical and Christian Studies. Um, you're, you're a teacher there at New St. Andrews College. You've earned, uh, this is amazing, 11 competitive awards for research on early 20th century Protestant religion, religious life. So history is your deep area. I know you were just saying you've taught some in the big box of Washington State University prolific writer. Um, you've written on everything from youth ministry to apologetics to Latin. That pretty much covered the whole thing, uh, covers many areas. And uh, probably the, other than the fact that you are an amazing husband, um, five children, married to Brenda and grandchild, uh, probably I know your biggest claim to fame would be your serious mock trial uh, coaching that you do. So you have quite a lot of accolades and we're glad to have you here. Well, it's a, it's a full life, and I'm very grateful for the way that the Lord's blessed me in a lot of surprising ways. Yeah, indeed. Well, today we want to talk about a topic that can't, we can't help escape from, and that's just this idea of education today being online versus the old brick and mortar. And it's amazing the speed at which technology is developing. Um, educational folks for years have sort of heralded the values and the virtues of learning online. Um, it's self-paced. You can learn individually. Um, but there's some weaknesses to it, and I, and again, in in our talk, I want to I want to hear kind of what what drew you to write a paper, which we'll make available uh, in our show notes. But talk a little bit about what what compelled you to write uh, this white paper on online education versus brick and mortar. Well, I teach some online courses or courses that are at least partially online, connected to a graduate program here at New St. Andrews College in Moscow, and. The institutionally here at New St. Andrews, we knew we had to get into this because we wanted to reach out to people who can't relocate to Moscow. Right. At the same time, we wanted to develop principles and boundaries for what constitutes effective versus ineffective education and where, you know, where would we go with technology and where were the breaks yeah. and uh, where are the opportunities and where were the limitations. So, and, for, and to kind of know where we're going in this podcast, I mean, this is, if you're listening, you're thinking, well, I have no interest in online. I'm at a brick and mortar school. There's so much about what you've discovered about what makes good education happen anywhere as it relates to online or as it relates to brick and mortar. That I think it has a lot to say for, for kids today in brick and mortar schools. But let's, let's start with some of the challenges, or actually, let me back up to the basic. What is online learning? What does that mean? I mean, what constitutes in your mind online learning? 
Well, online learning is nowadays actually kind of a term fast becoming outdated because that's how it is as technology. I would simply define it as teachers and students who are connecting online. Uh, it used to be sort of a term to describe or sort of a substitute for uh, correspondence education where the interaction between teacher and student was by posting letters to one another, but then you get computers involved. But today, you even have classrooms where teachers and students can be in the same room, yet they're interacting through digital media. Uh, so we, this is why online is actually kind of an out, outdated yeah. term. Yeah. You've seen the teenagers who are in the same room uh, <laughs> texting one another. That happens now in university classrooms, right. something that's roughly the equivalent. So. Right. It's almost anyway. like what is not online learning anymore. Everything seems to be online living. Ev yeah, everything's digital, and so that's touched uh, marketing, commerce, yeah. but it's touched education. So, 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 yeah. So, kind of jump into the your article you've written when you talk about again at face value. I I think for so long because the god of our age today is technology and science that if it beeps and flashes and you have to plug it in the wall, it's inherently a good thing. And there's there that's not necessarily the case. There's some things that are inherently lost. I don't care how 3D and amazing your interactive learning is. And we should say in some cases it is pretty amazing today, just like you and I right now are actually physically looking at each other, talking to each other, even though we're miles apart. It doesn't mean that we're not having a meaningful conversation, but there are some things that are lost in the, you know, in the medium right. itself. The medium is the message. It's a, that's yeah that's a that's exactly true and uh, the challenge that that I had to think about here is to step back and ask what is a good education and what makes up a good education and in order to compare apples to apples it's not sort of brick and mortar versus online learning because we have lousy brick and mortar education in some places and good brick and mortar education elsewhere what are the principles that would that would allow me to measure up any sort of educational situation and identify it as good, weak, strong, terrible, or whatever. And, and as again, what's so great about this, what you're about to share is that this is, if you're out visiting schools to consider for your child and they're all brick and mortar, these should still be very much the questions you're asking, are these things happening? So go ahead and what are some of those uh, filters that we ought to be running over the experience? Yeah, there's uh, two principles that I articulate in my article, uh, the principle of sympathy and the principle of fellowship. You can think about these as the relationships that take place in education. One of them is the vertical one sort of between teacher and student. That's sympathy. Does a teacher sympathize with his student? And I have to explain that. Yep. But the second one is fellowship. Those are the relationships of the cohort within the cohort sort of the horizontal relationship student one student to the next okay uh, so let's talk about yeah, sympathy yeah. so what, what does that mean for a teacher to have sympathy in the classroom yeah the it, vertical uh, <laughs> a sympathetic teacher is one who sees the lesson through the eyes of his students uh, sort of experiences the lesson vicariously through his students and i use the analogy of of a little toddler i have an 18 month old granddaughter um, and imagine just an everyday object. Uh, and if you've been with little kids, you know what I'm talking about. You can just be walking down the street and you see a rock mm -hmm. and you'll stop and pause at the rock and, and you'll become fascinated with the rock because you're with this toddler. <laughs> and if it were just me um, by myself, I would pass over the rock. But 
I would want to draw my granddaughter's attention to it and see her eyes get wide um, because I want to see that rock, something that's everyday normal becomes entirely new to me yeah. if I see it through her eyes. Yeah, it's such a great and example. It, I'm thinking about how often we walk past other adults that are engaged with young children like that and, we, and they're looking, they're making a fool of themselves. They're down there, <laughs> you know, sitting on the ground, throwing the leaves in the air or cackling or laughing or sticking rocks you know, throwing rocks up to kind of, to kind of just show the joy that they're having. You're right. As a sensible adult, we'd, we'd never stoop to that level, but that's, that's sympathy. Right. It, yeah. Yeah. Sympathy. A, a teacher needs to be sympathetic. Um, think about uh, if you have out of town guests, um, you might uh, drive down the street, the, the same street that you drive down day in and day out. That's normal to you. But if you're showing something to the out of town guest, you experience it again because mm. you're seeing it through their eyes. Yeah. That's what a teacher wants to do. I can have taught the same class year after year after year, but a sympathetic teacher will long to see it through the student's eyes. Um, and that becomes this force, this sort of intimate, loving glue that ties students and teachers together. So another way to say it, it has to be two, it's a two-way engagement. It has to be fluid and engagement. And I, That's right. Now, yeah. you're exactly right. And how this cashes out in assessing whether or not an education is good or viable is whether or not the student actually has some kind of agency in this mm -hmm. and presents their own understanding of the material and a teacher will long to see the student's own understanding of the material showing up yeah so there's got this this deep interactive element that that's necessary for sympathy to occur i want to read just a little piece out of your paper because i think you just word it so well talking about the advantage of sympathy and the embodied learning. You say embodied charisma, the embodied charisma of a teacher, the brisk hum of group productivity, the intensity of ideas forthrightly expressed, the surprise of knowledge freshly gained, the shared experience of pains and rewards that accompany academic discipline, and the personal idiosyncrasies of every individual present. Nothing can match a living and, res and resent human body. So, oh, I, yeah, that's you can't you can't do this online. I know essentially as you're talking about this. There's a series out there called uh, the Great Great Courses that you can you can subscribe to, and you can get college professors talking about astrophysics or um, history of some sorts. And and I remember my dad subscribed to the series. I thought this will be a really wonderful way to extend my knowledge. And I popped in the DVD, and it was this guy standing in front of a fairly bland set with a fake plant in front of him at the lectern just talking. And after about five minutes, I thought, okay, I am I am completely disconnected from what he's saying. And uh, right, yes, I've, and there's a <laughs> a lot of learning is like that. And of course, you can have that uh, in a face-to-face -face context too. You can have the teacher who is actually delivering the equivalent of a keynote address, and it mm. doesn't matter whether he's in front of uh, twenty-five people or two hundred fifty people. Yeah, the it there's no interaction to cause sympathy to really mature and develop in that sort of environment. Most folks um, are probably remembering their, their, their uh, freshman English 101 class um, in the lecture hall with um, you right. know, a talking head at the bottom. Well, no, okay, so I think that's, that's how, right. so sympathy makes a lot of sense. And that's, um, and I think contrasting that all the way back to sort of an Oxford model where you had just a few students sitting in the, in the, in the professor's office that's and right. it was very much an oral engagement so that's right a professor needs to be able to read the students understanding of the material which means the students need to produce their understanding of the material not just pair it back yeah and then the students need to see the instructor 
sort of adjusting and making meaningful uh, meaningful adaptations of the material to meet the student. And if a student sees the instructor doing that, yeah. and the, as the instructor is looking at the material through the student's eyes, that's the dynamic that we're looking for. Yeah. It makes a good education. So we're talking about sympathy, the, the vertical relationship between the teacher and the students, and how that's got to be embodied and dynamic to really be what you're calling right. an ideal education. So we want to move on. There's another kind of filter, as I'm calling it, that I think every parent wants to think about when they're assessing either online learning or an embodied classroom. But we're going to take a quick break here with Dr. Chris Schleck. We're talking about online versus brick and mortar education and how it applies to our everyday lives with our kids. We'll be right back here on Basecamp Live. For 21 years and counting, New St. Andrews College has sought to obey Christ's great commission to disciple nations and build him a house, not just in Jerusalem, but throughout the world, not with stones and mortar, but with living stones. We build and fight. This is the task of a Christian liberal arts college to equip students with the tools to build and fight. And this is our joyful task as we seek to graduate leaders who shape culture through wise and victorious living. To learn more, check us out online at nsa.edu. Welcome back to Basecamp Live, talking to Dr. Chris Schleck about how to really assess a good education. And in a world of online learning that's heralded as the the greatest thing uh, out there to allow our kids to just sort of self-pace. And, you know, there's a lot of gimmicky stuff, isn't there, Chris, in the world of online learning? I I remember reading years ago that that one of the big jobs for folks who are coming out with video video gaming skills is actually to go into education, um, to create. Right. Right. (laughs) <laughs> there, there is a lot of gimmicky stuff. Um, you, you mentioned uh, in the last segment uh, the teaching company videos that yeah, you were yeah. talking about, yeah. where there's no interaction between teacher and student. You know, I don't have any complaint with teaching company videos or something like that, so long as we understand that it's that any education that's that's going to happen is up to the student and it's not provided by the medium. There's no difference between that and just get, handing somebody a textbook. Yeah, that's true. So here's, and there's some textbooks that are good. So it's it's not that I want to right. eliminate textbooks. Just understand them for what they are and the limitations of what yeah. they are. You still need a teacher. Yeah. No, that's, this is a good point of clarification because I don't want anybody listening thinking, okay, he's basically bashing all of these very common ways of educating. I think the, the, the filter, as we keep using that term, is really what's an ideal education. If you could create kind of a perfect environment, which there's nothing perfect, what would it look like? And you absolutely, as we talked about before the break, sympathy has got to be present. If there's not sympathy, right. it's a pretty one-sided, dry, shallow uh, experience. So talk about right. this other filter of fellowship. What does that mean? The filter of fellowship I described as the horizontal relationship. So that's working together as a cohort rather than the the student who is learning solo, learning by himself. Um, mm. If you're going through life solo or having an educational experience solo, you don't have the traction for understanding really how you're doing. You're comparing yourself by yourself, the apostle tells us those who do that are not wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it also helps to broaden your own experience beyond your own experience. Yeah. So you can see another another student praised, another student censured or criticized, and you'll wind up with a whole lot more experience than just your own solo experience. Yeah. Um, but this means that students need to be able to see the lesson through one another's eyes, uh, just as the teacher in sympathy needs to see this lesson through the student's eyes. So the student's creative uh, work in manifesting their understanding mm-hmm. is 
deeply important both for sympathy and fellowship for the students with one another and for the teacher to follow along with, with what's going on. So that's it, fellowship. It, We're going to go to the cohort. It makes me think of Charlotte Mason, who talked a lot about um, what she called in the classroom, a mind on mind engagement, that the idea is actually for the teacher to get the conversation directed and then to step back a little bit and to the point that the, either the text that you're working with or the cohorts in the room, that these your minds are actually, you know, the one who does the thinking does the learning. So if you can actually get right. this collaborative momentum going, um, it's a very rich thing. And I think we've... That's, yeah. that's right. And it involves two of the most important motivations that drive people, both competition and cooperation. Yeah. You know, you want to... Yeah. You want to be able to cooperate, work together to to meet an accomplishment, uh, accomplish some task. But then there's also not wanting to get left behind. Yeah. Seeing, seeing your, that you know maybe you can do better than you are, or maybe trying to excel beyond your peers. Yeah. Those are deeply motivating as well. So there's understanding and the motivation that the fellowship aspect is crucial to. Yeah, that makes that makes good sense. So I mean, I think we can probably all relate to conversations uh, in classrooms, hopefully, where the conversation was so rich and deep that the bell rings and you're like, I, wait, I don't want to stop. We're, there's there's momentum here. And it's not just you taking dry notes from a, a teacher standing up front. And it's, right. uh, it is, it's, you know, I yeah, think, uh, yeah, go ahead. Imagine a basketball player trying to practice uh, his free throws, let's say, on a team versus apart from the context of a team. Yeah. Yeah. If I am part of a team, then I'm going to work on my three throws in a different way and have a different understanding of what's happening than if I'm doing it within the context of a team. Even my individual work, then I start right. to see differently. Well, to your point, you might get kind of big-headed if you're only playing basketball in the gym by yourself and you're really good at throwing free throws, but you've never shot in a game under competition or exactly. had any challenges. And it contextualizes yeah. uh, it contextualizes the free throw opportunity. That you know, If I'm standing at a foul line in basketball game, I'm by myself. <laughs> yeah. But that needs to be understood embedded in a much bigger context. And so it is with the classroom. And I'm not a big fan then of the sole student, the solo tutorial mm -hmm. approach to education that yeah. some people think is wonderful because it's super individualized, but it's actually not really human the way God designed us to yeah. be in community. So, but just to clarify, you're there, when I read your paper, I thought, you know, this is interesting. You, you draw out these caution to these filters to think through on sympathy and fellowship, but but you certainly are, you're acknowledging that there are places and times in which this type of uh, disembodied learning can actually complement the embodied learning. I mean, there are times where it's actually helpful to have um, these technical resources. That's right. It uh, I, I like to use the analogy of a book. Um, so my, my kids read Homer in a literature class. They go home and they read Homer, and it's there's no other students there. There's no other teacher there. Um, and uh, But once they come back to class, then my son's understanding of Homer gets presented, interacted, and bantered about within the classroom context, and then it becomes valuable. Mm -hmm. And I think that things like the teaching company, other teaching videos, can function the same way as that text. Mm -hmm. The students go... And they can get some input. That's fine. But then it really becomes alive in an education when they have to do something with it under the tutelage of an instructor and within the context of the fellowship of a cohort. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and I think it's, I mean, to someone who's just been in something as simple as a book club, the difference in reading the book versus having a group of people to 
it's like, wow, I didn't, when they're sharing, I had no idea. I didn't see that point or that perspective. And this is what I love walking yeah. through classical Christian high schools, the rhetoric programs where you see many cases, big oak tables, and you see this, uh, again, a, a team of students that are doing much right. of the talking and discussion amongst themselves. So, yeah. That's right. Otherwise, we could just give them a stack of books. We talk about great books curricula. Right. Okay, here's your epics and here's your, just go read them and be good. We know that that's not good. You need the sympathy of a teacher and the fellowship of a cohort in addition to these curricular resources yeah. to make an education go. Absolutely. So, in your, Chris, and you, you've done consulting around the country, you've been a part of classical Christian education for many years. I mean, why, what is it that makes a classical Christian school more um, conducive to creating environments of sympathy and fellowship? Well, because of the community that they create, and the the expertise and demands that they they put on the, their teachers to be learned themselves, but then to love their students and to cultivate an environment of love and respect for one another um, within that crucible of the little community of the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think classical Christian schools are uniquely poised to deliver this uh, kind of education with sympathy and fellowship and where it reigns. Yeah, that's really helpful. Well. I hope for those who are listening, again, as you're, as you're thinking about, even if your child's never partaken of an online course, and I hope after this we've not scared you off of that, I think those are still good things, but just go into it with an open mind that it, it does have some inherent challenges, as do potentially brick-and-mortar classrooms that are not embracing an environment where there's a, a sympathy between the teacher and the student and fellowship among the cohorts and the students. Those are really good, again, filters, I think, Chris, as we look at education, because again, most of us never personally experienced this education that our children are now experiencing. So it's hard for us sometimes even imagine what that would have been like to have that kind of rich environment. Right. It's, uh, I'm very privileged to have my kids as part of it. And uh, I'm glad that there are teachers who love them, teachers who are learned, and yet who love them. And that love shows in the manner in which they interact with them. Just like I was saying earlier with my granddaughter, you know, when you have teachers who just who love the students so much that they've got to see the students mm. display their understanding, because that's what makes the teacher's day. Yeah, that's going to be a good teacher. And that's what separates someone who's merely smart from someone who is smart and can teach. Yeah. <laughs> Very important <laughs> distinction. <laughs> well said. Well said. Well, Chris Schleck, thanks so much for your time. It's been great to have you on Basecamp Live. Again, we'll, we'll put the uh, your paper here in the show notes so people want to encourage them to kind of read the full uh, document. Um, it's super helpful and I think a great reminder to us of the gift we have of being a part of schools that really focus on sympathy and fellowship. And thanks for all the other things you're writing and doing to further the movement. It's been great to have you on the show. Well, I love being involved in classical Christian education because it puts me in contact with some of the best people I've been privileged to interact with. And Davies, you're one of those. Oh, and so I I don't know. It's, hey, well, thanks, Chris. It's good. Well, we'll have you back on the show. There's plenty of things we can talk about. So yeah, thanks again. Nice things like that, and then you'll have me back. Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll get you back. You can, anybody can talk about youth, youth and apologetics and Latin all in the same thing. That'll be a great show. We'll figure out how all those fit together. So, all right. Take Thank care. So thanks much. again for being on the show. Thank you for listening to Basecamp Live. I'm Kate Roberts, a senior this year, who has been extremely blessed with a classical Christian education. I know raising our generation isn't always easy, and we hope this podcast has been an encouragement to you. So thank you truly for listening. You know, with literally of thousands of others tuning in from across the U.S. and all around the world, you are not alone in raising kids in my generation. 
If you get a quick moment, post a comment to us on our Basecamp Live Facebook page and be sure to tell others about the show. Join us again for our next episode. Thank you.